0: Good morning. Welcome to Vintage Church Sunday morning gathering. Happy that you all are here. Uh, I believe, like I do every week, like I do every day, I believe that God has brought each of us here for a reason. Uh, At the very minimum, he's brought us here to open his word and to see what he has to say to us. To speak to us through his word, to grow us, to make us new, but also he might have brought you here. He might have put you in this place today to redeem your soul, to save you, and if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I think that's something you should consider and um, you should ask someone in this building or in this room or outside of this room how that happens and what that means. Uh, I believe that he has brought us here together to worship together, to edify the body of Christ, to build up the saints. And that's what we're going to try to do today. We're going to be in Romans 14, the end of Romans 14. We're going to sort of sneak into Romans 15 today. We'll, We'll look at that, Romans 15 today and next week. Uh, We're going to sneak into Romans 15, but we're going to be in Romans 14, starting in verse 20. We're going to look at building and edifying the church. Building and edifying the church, the third point in that. Would you pray with me as we begin today? Father God, you are perfect and holy in all of your ways. You are matchless. You are endless. You have no beginning. You pre-exist all time. You were not created, but you are creator. You have so intricately and specifically worked out every detail of our lives with care and concern, with love and affection. Would you help us to surrender our lives to you? Would you help us to know that as a part of that plan, you wish to build your church. To develop your church more into the image of your son. That we would look like Jesus. Lord, help us to look like Jesus. Lord, help us to have the same affection for each other as you had for us. To where you were willing to lay down your life for us. Giving up your rights and privileges. In order to give us life. Would you help us to have the same consideration for the church. That we would give up our rights and privileges when necessary in order to bring life into the body of Christ. Most importantly Lord would you help us to understand that all the law and the prophets are fulfilled in these things. That we... Love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. Would you help us not only to practice these things in our daily lives, but that it would be our thrust, our motivation for living. Our thrust and our motivation for everything that we do. We pray these things, we believe these things because of the matchless and mighty name of Jesus Christ. It's in His name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Today we're going to be in Romans 14. Over the last few weeks, we've been, you've each week over the last two, and then today, we have been given one point in how we build and edify the church. The first that we understood was that we build and edify the church with sound judgment. That's simply, without going into a deep review, that's, Knowing what is right, being sure of it, and doing it. Um, but last week we, we added to that. And it's not just sound judgment, but sound judgment. One aspect of sound judgment, but also something that is true and helpful in building and edifying the church is spiritual judgment. Spiritual judgment understands that the kingdom of God does not just merely consist of what we do. It does not consist of what we do, but it does consist of how we serve Christ how we serve Christ and how we serve others how we think about others as we are living for the Lord it is built on peace and joy the kingdom paul said in romans 14 the kingdom of god is built on righteousness peace and joy that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ his goodness his complete and total work on the cross When we have that righteousness in our life, when we're covered by the blood of the Lamb of God, we have no choice but to eventually develop, sometimes immediately, sometimes over time, we develop peace and joy in our lives. That's peace with God, which is most important. We are no longer enemies, no longer aliens, no longer strangers, but we're friends. We have peace with God, peace with others. That's extremely important. Because I believe this... No one who has experienced the peace of God goes on in constant disunity with God's other peaceful children. So if you have a problem with the body of Christ, if you have a problem with Christians, if you have a problem with the church, the problem is primarily going to be found with you and you need to realize that. The quicker you realize that, the better off you are. Yes, the church is full of sinners. The church is full of people who are who do wrong things, who mess up. You know, you're going to say hypocrites. I wouldn't say hypocrites. I think Christians do hypocritical things, but I think as a whole the church is not full of hypocrites. The church is full of people who are trying and mess up. That's it. The church is full of people who you're going to struggle to love. Who you're going to struggle to find commonality with. But it's important that you understand if you have the peace of God, you will have peace with the things that God has peace with. The people that God has peace with. The things are his commands, the people are his church. That's it. And when we have peace with God and we have peace with others, the natural result is deep joy, not happiness. Contentment, joy, the understanding that regardless of my situation, regardless of how life may go, if it turns out like I want it to, if it turns out like I don't want it to necessarily, I have Christ and Christ is enough. The most freeing and true place that a Christian can be. The best place, and I would pray that you find this as quickly as possible, the best place you can be as a Christian is where you can sing that Christ is enough and you can truly mean it. Because we sing it often and often we don't live it practically. Christ is enough. Today we will see one other aspect of building and edifying the church. Building and edifying the church requires selfless judgment. Selfless judgment. Sound, spiritual, selfless. You got me preaching like a normal Baptist preacher now with the alliteration. Selfless judgment. There's actually two appearances of alliteration in this sermon, so you're welcome. Look at Romans 14 starting in verse 20. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Let that stick in your head. Let that resonate with you as we go through the rest of this. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep it between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself, for what he approves but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin look at chapter 15 we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up this is the word of the Lord We've been hitting on these more subjective matters of conscience lately. This entire time I've been emphasizing everyone's personal judgment. I don't want you to think that based on these matters of conscience, that um, the absolute truths of the Bible don't stand or um, don't matter, or matter less. Those things are true and will always be true. And I know that I've almost... I think I've started every sermon over the last three weeks off with a statement like this, but you need to understand it clearly. The discussion in Romans 14 is not on the absolute truths of God. Those stand. The discussion in Romans 14 is on the things that there is some room to agree to disagree on. Room to debate. Now... The easiest way for us would be to have a an objective list of things to do to have to work and figure out and have your own conscience clear and then also to have to see how you interact with others who don't have the same convictions that you do. That's the hard route. But something I've learned in my life that I think you need to learn if you haven't already and you've probably already learned in the good things of life, the harder way is the most rewarding way. It's easy in life to take the it's easier in life to know what to do when it's in front of you. It's harder in life to put those things into practice when people you love or when people you think highly of don't agree. With you. But it's good for us. It's good to be stretched. It's good to be challenged. Even if it doesn't change our mind about what we believe, it's good to be challenged because it changes our perspective about the person that is challenging us. So we grow through this. Paul has made, I think, something objectively clear here. He is not making a specific statement on food and wine. He is using food and wine to make a larger discussion, to put a larger discussion at the forefront. And that is how we interact with brothers and sisters in Christ. How we treat brothers and sisters in Christ on things that are not the objective and absolute truths of the Bible when we disagree with them. So verses like this and these discussions that we have subsequently with people bring up some important questions. Why do we believe what we believe? It's interesting because it could be said about a lot of us that many of our matters of conscience that we have followed in our lives, many of those convictions that we have, they were passed down to us. A lot of us didn't have those convictions on our own. And so when we are challenged by others, what we find is we are challenged to figure out why we believe what we believe. It's important that we're challenged. Do you know if you know why you do something, it, not, it doesn't shake your foundation. It strengthens the foundation that you have. So the verses like this and the discussions that follow... Help us to ask the question and answer the question, why we believe what we believe. We begin to own our faith. It also asks us another good question that I think that is good in life in general. It's good in human interaction. And that is, is it possible that I could be wrong? Or is it possible that there is more than one answer to this question or dilemma? Friends, I want you to be so sure about what you believe as it pertains to the gospel of Jesus Christ that you, can, that you generally think, I'm not wrong on this. But I also want you to have in your mind the possibility that you could have missed something. That there's a perspective or a thought that you might not have on this. That someone from a different background or a different Um, from coming from a different place in life might be able to help you understand more clearly. So when we look at verses like this and then we take on the discussions that follow verses like this, it broadens our perspective on the kingdom and the kingdom work. We aren't the only ones that matter in the kingdom. Our opinions aren't the only ones that matter in the kingdom. Knowing these truths allow us to accept and to listen to and be ready to um, work through different backgrounds, cultural differences, um, child raising differences, you know, the way people were raised, different home training and things like that. Another question we ask ourselves when we look at, like, when we look at verses like this is, can I accept the other person's stance, even if it's different than mine, in love and mutual respect. Can I accept this other person's stance? Even if it's different than mine. In love and mutual respect. See Paul gives another imperative about our actions today. And it reveals our, it reveals our heart. And it reveals the way we feel about the church. The result of this command causes us to ask ourselves. Am I following this truth with the right motives? Is the edification of the church the most important thing to me? I have spent a lot of my life where the most important thing to me was being right. I have been extremely challenged by reading, this, reading these verses and going through these verses again. To make sure that being right is not the most important thing to me. But that the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. Following the truths that I follow with the right motives. And not because I can. Or because I have something to prove. Is most important to me. I've got a long way to go. Because being right is still very important to me. So I want to bring us to another thought on this perspective. And I've already given it to you. And I will, I'll give it to you again. Building and edifying the church requires selfless, selfless judgment. Look at, look at what Paul says in 14 verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Sorry, I'm not going to read that again just yet. I'm going to go, I'm going to go on. It requires selfless judgment. We talk about selfless <coughs> Uh, selflessness all the time, right? I mention it all the time. Like almost, you might not catch this, but almost every application point at the end of a sermon is something about putting God first, put, being important, like putting the church first, being selfless, right? Even if I don't directly say it, it's all about selflessness. But what does selfless mean? What does it mean to us? I think it's in I think it's one of the most important traits of a Christian. It's one of the most important traits that a Christian body, a church body can be known by. Jesus says, "Love your neighbor as yourself." This and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength sums up all the law and the prophets. When we love our neighbor as ourselves, we think about the personal care for our neighbor. We think about their needs. We think about their desires, their dreams, their hopes, their long-term plans. That's how we love ourselves. That's how we would naturally love our neighbors if we're, doing, if we're fulfilling that command. We think about them in a sacrificial and selfless way. After all, Christ was the perfect example for us by laying down His life for the church. Selflessness, however, is not... The most prevailing uh, trait in humans in our society. As a matter of fact, selflessness will run most countercultural to what you see in our society. Jesus tells us that sacrifice is hard and it's primarily difficult because it goes counter to our nature. Our nature is to consume and to save and to Think about our own needs. Counter that nature is to be selfless. This is true. This can be seen and true in many ways. But one of the ways that we can see this most truly is we have difficulty accepting selfless deeds from others. You might not have thought about it this way. But one way you can see that you are not wired for selflessness is because you have difficulty accepting selfless need, deeds from others. We don't understand often the joy of selflessness. We're like, oh, I don't want to put you out, I don't want to inconvenience you. Well, when someone practices selflessness to you, you are inconveniencing them by not receiving that. Because there is joy in portraying and conveying selflessness. To others, So if I try to do something for you and you're like, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, don't take my blessing away. There is joy in selflessness. And we, one of the ways that I know that I don't and you don't understand that very well. One of the ways I know in, that I don't and you don't have selflessness at the forefront of our lives is the problem we have when others, per, um, when others practice selflessness to us. If we understood the joy of selflessness, we'd be like, Go right ahead. You know what? I'm going to do this later for somebody else. Go right ahead. Can we accept selflessness as one of the most important Christian traits? Can we practice selflessness in our own lives? Even if it means someone else has the perception that they're more right than we are. That's tough for me. Not only do I want to be right, I need other people to know that they're wrong. (laughs) I'm just being transparent. I'm not trying to be, I'm not, I don't think it's, I think it's funny in the way I said it. I don't think it's funny overall, though. You know, I need to be right and someone else needs to know that they're wrong. Can we accept that we might be right here and they might be right here and that's just enough? That's selflessness. Can we accept that it's one of the most important traits of the Christian life? Paul says, In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. It It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Friends, we often say this is who I am or this is how I do things or this is the way it is. And Jesus says... Through Paul, or the word of God says through Paul and Jesus says to take up your cross daily, but that you have yourself has been crucified with Christ. Jesus died to kill the self that prevents the building up of the church, that prevents the loving of others, that prevents the keeping of the second great command. I have been crucified with Christ. It is not it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Then we get, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Building and edifying the church requires selfless judgment. You're going to get another alliteration in my subpoints under here, so you're welcome again. The first thing you need to see under selfless judgment is selfless judgment. Prioritizes the good of the church. Now let's read verse 20. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make anyone stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Now we spend a lot of our time as we learn the Christian life trying to place everything in neat boxes. Uh, mostly, I think this is good. What does the Bible say about this? Should I do this or that? Should I not do this? Should I stay away from this? Should I go for this? But but life isn't always so neat. Again, we see this with Paul in what he personally approves and what he actually approves. He actually does. Now, I think Paul makes it clear that nothing that we could eat is unclean. And we've discussed that. Remember, the Gentiles were being forced to do things that was not common practice to them by Jewish believers. And Paul says it's not about what you eat. It's not about your holy days. I think Paul makes it clear also that drinking alcohol. Now, again, I do want to explain this for a second, but this is not the I don't think this is the intention of this passage. This intention the intention of this passage is not to say abstain from alcohol. It's not to say it's okay to drink alcohol. But I do think that Paul, through our context clues, makes it clear that he thinks it's acceptable to drink alcohol. He even encouraged Timothy at some point uh, to drink a little wine for his stomach. Jesus gave a pretty clear indication that drinking alcohol, drinking wine was an okay thing. When the very first miracle he did on earth was to turn the water into real, actual, not Welch's wine the people at that party, the people at that wedding feast would have already been inebriated by all of the wine that they already drank because it was gone. And Jesus turned the water into wine. And then at the Lord's table, when they were drinking wine and bread, He said, as often as you eat, do this. What was the this? Drink the wine and eat the bread. These are commands of Christ. Wine is a picture of salvation in Isaiah. In Joel, it is a picture of God's blessing when the wine bursts forth from the deep. A qualification of an elder is not to be addicted to much wine. A deacon not to drink much wine. The Bible never teaches abstinence or that that drinking wine is sinful. But Drinking wine has been a hot button issue since the beginning. So Paul spends some time and subsequently I have also on helping us through these more questionable matters. What does Paul say concerning eating and drinking? He said, everything is clean. Everything is clean. It's okay. It's all okay. But it is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything to cause your brother is stumbled to stumble. Meat is mentioned here, wine is mentioned here, but Paul is covering an entire frame, an entire scale of things that we don't we really can't say objectively and absolutely certain, certainly, that God has approved. But the basic premise he's trying to uh, develop and bring forth is that we're not to do anything, whether it's drinking or eating or anything like that, that would destroy the work of the Lord. What is at stake when we think about our personal liberties? Is it just our well-being? Our personal well-being? Is it just our conscience? Paul says, don't for the sake of food, but then he doubles down, or anything destroy the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? The work of the Lord is the edification and the building up of God's church. The work of the Lord is the building up of the individuals into a worldwide body of Christ-like followers. And as I've been reminding you, Paul does here... What we do plays a large role in the building and the edification, but also the tearing down of the body of Christ. So much so that Paul states here that it's building and tearing down is in part dependent on our submission to Christ and our love for brothers and sisters in Christ. Yes, we are free to do whatever we want to do as it pertains to matters of conscience. But no, we are not as it pertains to the matters of building and edifying or tearing down the church. We are inextricably bound to each other. And what we do individually matters <coughs> Excuse me, as a whole. This is why the local body practices church discipline. If one person is out of line... If one person needs help or correction, we do that because what one person in the body does matters to the whole. This is why we give little corrections over time that are not explicitly church discipline. This is why we have accountability groups. This is why we discuss our lives. We know each other. We grow closer to each other. Because what we do matters as it pertains to the building up, the edification, or the tearing down of the church. This is why we choose to take stands on objective truth. Why we choose to follow the Bible. Because what we do not only matters in the perception of others outside of the church, but it matters most, and more importantly, in the building and edification of the church. Our conviction, now we see more clearly, is not just about what we approve, but what is good for the body of Christ as a whole. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. The work of God is the church. Specifically individual saints that make up the church. We are all his workmanship. And we should be doing things to display his handicraft and not to modify or mutilate it. Are you prioritizing the good of the collective in your individual life? Are you prioritizing the body in your decision making, your personal decision making? Are you practicing selflessness as it pertains to what you approve? I don't think this is always means to abstain. So how do we practice freedoms if it doesn't always mean to abstain? How do we practice freedom in the way that does not destroy the work of God? I think this is the second thing you need to see. Selfless judgment practices caution with what he approves. Practices caution with what he approves. The faith that you have, listen, he says, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself. For what he approves another version of that says how blessed is the man who is not condemned by what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now, this is the message to the stronger brother, the faith that you have that allows you to partake, that allows you to eat. You keep between you and God. After all, he is the one that has given that to you. But he has not given that to everyone. Paul is saying this, and it's simple. It's simple. Don't flaunt your freedoms. Don't flaunt or abuse your freedoms. It's not hard. He says, your freedoms you keep between you and God. You don't have to let the world know that your conscience allows you the freedom to drink alcohol. You don't have to let the world know that your conscience allows you the freedom to play cards, play poker, I don't know, whatever it may be. Whatever these things are that you think that you are free to do, you don't have to let the world know. You can, You are allowed to keep those things between you and the Lord, not just because it's not good to brag about those things, but because it builds and edifies the church. When we don't do anything that might cause another brother or sister to stumble. Paul is saying don't flaunt your Christian liberties. Yes, you are free. But your freedom is not in the flaunting. Your freedom is in the partaking. Because you are found in Christ Jesus. You are not free to abuse. You are not free to be casual about the freedoms that you have in Christ. We must treat those matters of conscience with sensitivity. Not being deceitful or hiding, but understanding that loving Christ and loving others means that you, want to get, you won't get to do everything that you want to do in the exact way that you want to do it all of the time. It's truly countercultural. When the world talks about me time and the world talks about. Getting mine. I'm going to get mine. The world talks about getting your needs met. It's truly countercultural to say, I'm go- I know I'm okay to do this, but I'm going to lay this down for the sake of someone else who doesn't feel the same way. I don't believe, friends, that we should walk around being hypersensitive or overly concerned about offending every single person. Because some people are just offendable. They're easily offendable. But I do think that we shouldn't be offensive in the things that Christ has freed us to do. Paul is saying, be confident in what you know. Be confident in what you do. Know why you're doing it. Know what you're doing. Be free to do it, but don't flaunt it. How do we keep this as a part of our faith between us and God? How do we keep these areas of freedom? I think it's true that at times we need to abstain from things we are free to do. At times we need to abstain from things we are free to do. If you are a missionary and you go into a strictly Muslim culture, it might be a good idea to abstain from alcohol. Although you're free as a lady to wear a dress, I mean free to wear pants or a skirt, If you go in a missionary in a Muslim culture, it might be uh, it might be um, practicing uh, this good nature. I don't know what word I was trying to use there, but it might be practicing this good nature to them to abstain from wearing skirts and pants and to wear long dresses or to wear the cultural attire. At times we need to abstain from things we are free to do for the sake of the gospel and the edification of the church, the building up of the church we need to seriously consider the context around practicing our freedoms seriously consider the context who will see what I'm doing how will they be effective how will they be affected by what I'm doing will this build them up will this tear them down will this open a gospel door for me or will this shut a gospel door for me I have two more practical ways that I think we need to that that we need to keep as far as matters of conscience and how conscience and how we can keep those between us and God. Another way we keep the matter of conscience between us and God is we do not coerce people to our view. Listen, I don't think it's a good idea if you think it's okay to drink alcohol, I don't think it's a good idea to be the spokesman for Bud Light. Okay? I don't think it's a good idea to go to your non-drinking friends and try to convince them that drinking alcohol is a good thing. As a matter of fact, I would say to your non-drinking friends, I would say it is best that if you never taste alcohol, if you never taste alcohol, to not taste alcohol. That's what I would say. I don't think that your, your goal is to coerce people into your views on matters of conscience. I don't think it's your goal to debate people into your view on matters of conscience. And certainly, I don't think it's your goal to beat people up until they don't want to talk to you anymore on matters of conscience. Another thing that's very important in a way to keep these freedoms between us and God is to not be known by our freedoms. Just like you wouldn't go... And be a, a sponsor for Bud Light. So that everyone can know that you're free in Christ. You also, the most prominent thing about you from your friends in the church and outside the church. Is not what type of beer you drink. That shouldn't be the most prominent thing. You know, those, what type of clothes you wear. Or what type of cigar you like. Those Christian freedoms should not be what most prominently you are known by. What should you be most prominently known by? Kindness. Goodness, gentleness, love, support, respect, understanding, faithfulness, friendship, whatever, whatever it is, but not your Christian freedoms. I don't want to be known by the cigar I smoke. I don't want to be known by the things I drink. I don't want to be known by those external things that matter not to the kingdom. I want to be known by my friends as a keeper of the gospel, as a decent friend, even though I pick a little bit too much. I want to be known as someone who loves deeply and richly. Someone who cares about the, uh, the needs and the, and the things of others. One way we keep our personal freedoms between us and God is to not make that the most prominent and prevalent thing about us. It would be a shame to get to heaven. I don't know if that this works like this in eternity. But it would be a shame to get to heaven and our friend that we hadn't Seen in a while is like, hey, Ghost River guy. I know you. Doesn't remember your name, but he remembers what, like, what type of drink you like. It's it's a temptation, though, of Christians who experience Christian freedom, to want to to want to promote something so strongly that that's what they're known by. Our freedom has limitations, friends. Christ gave up His life for us. Giving up His freedoms. Putting those aside for those who were not free. And then He asked us to live in the same way. Just because we can, doesn't mean we should. One last thing I want you to see is that selfless judgment perseveres with the weaker Brother. Perseveres with the weaker brother. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Not only is it suggested that we lay aside our freedoms if necessary, but we are obligated to. Paul says, we who are the stronger brother who know that it's okay to do this or do that, we've already asserted that in our mind. We, have, we are compelled We are compelled to be patient, to be long suffering, to wait, to abstain, to withhold, to practice less of something for the sake of the weak, for the sake of the other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is easy when it comes to murder. We know we're not free to murder. We know we're not free to cheat or adulterize or steal or lie. So there is obvious value in abstaining from those things. But when we abstain and are more careful about the matters in which we have freedom, then we are most clearly and specifically demonstrating the love that sent Christ to the cross. When we hold off on things that we're free to pick up, we are most demonstrating the gospel. Christ could have picked up His Godhead at any point while He was on earth and said, I'm it. That's it. I'm done. I'm done with these people. There's no hope. The Bible says He could have called 10,000 angels to pull Him off the cross. He could have picked up His Godhead just like that. He was free to do it. But in his freedom, he laid it aside for the sake of those who weren't free. And now Paul, understanding the gospel well, says, you who are strong in your freedom, you have an obligation. You should feel compelled to bear with those who don't feel the same way that you do. And that entails all of those things that I mentioned earlier. Maybe abstaining. Maybe withholding. Maybe not being able to express your freedoms in the exact way that you want. Definitely not flaunting those things for the sake of others. For the sake of the building up of the body of Christ. If you think this is about alcohol or meat, you miss the point. Paul says it's not good to eat or drink or what? Or do anything that causes a a deterioration. That was almost a hard word like... Whatever word I messed up the other day, a deterioration in the body of Christ. What are you going to be known by? Are you going to be known as Bud Light Dude? Is that what you're going to be known as? You're going to be known as a dude that's good at poker or, or, you know, feels like he can go to clubs and, and still be within, you know, the realm of godliness? Is that what you're going to be known by? Think Paul says, let's not make it, let's not make these things about what we eat or drink. Let's make it about how we are treating and responding to others in response to what God has done for us. It's that simple. It's a summation of all that we've been talking about so far as it pertains to Christian freedoms. Pray with me. God, you're good. We are understandably in all of your greatness because in your love you died for us. You opened the door for us to salvation. You've given us access to yourself through Christ. You've given us continual access to the Holy Spirit. So we praise you for those things. We pray that you would bless this congregation, bless this body that we would grow in each other that we would love each other, that we would consider each other first, that we would not put our needs above others' needs, that we would be changed by the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ, laying down our freedoms when necessary in order for those who are not free. You are such a gospel example, a godly and light to us. Help us to be the same to others.